Hey all you cool cream ales and American wheat beers, welcome to another episode of Boys Are From Martin, a woman and beer podcast. On this episode, I am joined with Natalia Watson um, of many things. Um, she, right now, she's hosting a virtual beer school for people who want to become certified beer service. This was my second international guest. Um, she was really great to talk to, and I think you'll really enjoy that interview. But before we get to that, um, you know, I start something each week where I name... Uh, one beer I drank this week and then one interesting thing that I read or saw in craft beer this week. Um, so the beer that I really enjoyed this week, I made the trip to Lexington, Kentucky on, I guess, Friday last week and I went to Mirror Twin because Mirror Twin Brewing Company in Lexington has some of the best pizza. But while I was there, I had uh, their little mosaic monster, which is, um, they call it a New England pale ale because it's only five and a half percent ABV. Um, it was just really good, very sessionable, hazy, you know, the mosaic was very present, but also, um, you know, didn't pack too big of a, you know, you know, some of those beers can get really, you know, they have that hot burn. Um, so it was a really perfect balance, very easy to drink and also very good. Um, something in craft beer this week that I want to mention, it's a little bit different, is I'm here in Kentucky and right now the Kentucky Craft Brewer. Uh, the Kentucky Guild of Brewers and then the Kentucky Craft Brewers here are fighting for the right to self-distribute. Um, so I just want to, if anyone's listening in Kentucky and wants to help, you just need to contact your local legislators and tell them to vote yes on SB 15. Um, I wrote a story about it on porch drinking. If you go on to any of the craft, the Kentucky Craft Breweries, you know, social media or the Kentucky Guild of Brewers social media, there's more information on how you can help. Um, getting, being able to self-distribute um, is very important for breweries. I mean, there are 39 states that currently allow their breweries to self-distribute. Kentucky's not one of them. With that being said, let's get to the interview with Natalia. Hello, everybody. I am joined with Natalia Watson. Natalia is joining us over in London, I believe you were where you are currently. So this is my uh, second international guest. I had a uh, Tamar Banner, she's a head brewer at Tool, so she was joining me from Denmark, so now my first, I guess, UK, um, England guest, so how are you doing? It's obviously morning here for me, and it is afternoon for you. Yeah, so it's about three in the afternoon for me, and I saw you had your mug of maybe coffee or tea, and I just finished the second of the day, two a day, so yeah, I'm doing well. I've had a nice sort of productive work day so far, really looking forward to chatting, and I've got a bit more to do afterwards, and I've got a beer launch, a virtual beer launch tonight, so I'm looking forward to that. I am a coffee drinker, a black coffee drinker. So that was that is what is in my mug this morning. Yeah, I'm a coffee too. I mean, tea since I live in the UK, I think you have to. Right. I do both. So we'll kind of start from the beginning. I think you have a very interesting, you know, beer journey from you know where you kind of thought you your career would be to how you ended up in beer. So let's just we'll go way back to the beginning. You studied. So you lived in the United States for a while. So you studied mm-hmm. microbiology at UCLA and then you went and got into public health, yeah. which you focused on food and safety. And then you started working for baby food. So kind of tell us that transition and how you went from microbiology to working for a baby food business. 
I know it's all so strange. So yes, I do. I mean, I have a, an American accent and I live in London now, but my parents are from Northern Ireland and I lived there as a kid. So I'm a UK citizen, but my dad's job brought us to America whenever I was eight. So we moved to California. So yeah, I did the rest of elementary school, middle school, high school in California and then went to UCLA for college. So yeah, I'd always had an interest in science. I remember uh, doing a drawing in I think maybe seventh or eighth grade of like what my future was going to look like. And it was me as a science teacher, like holding a beaker, uh, wearing a little white lab coat. I loved my science teachers in middle school and high school. So I kind of thought that was the path I was going to be on. But then when you go into school and study, you know, when you go to university and study a science, it's really all about research, especially at a university like UCLA. So I was really interested in research and I was doing some work alongside these amazing PhDs and realized I wasn't very good at it. I was much better at talking about science than actually doing the science. And that then led me to look into other ways that I could engage with the world of science, uh, but also people outside of science, because that was kind of my interest. I There's this big divide at UCLA. CLA South Campus is where the science majors are, and North Campus is where all the literature majors are. And I had a minor in South Campus, uh, sorry, a major in South Campus, which was my science major. But then I had a minor in society and genetics, which was focused North Campus. And it was actually how do we talk to people about mm -hmm. science and particularly genetics, like, you know, designer babies and different vaccines, all things that are relevant to today. Uh, you know, how do we talk to people in a way that will bring them into the world of science and not scare them away from it? Because science is so politicized and misunderstood, et cetera. So that's why realizing I wasn't very good at doing the science, but was better at talking about it. I went down the public health route, but even there wasn't really interested in a communications role. I thought I wanted to go into policy. So my interest was microbiology and particularly food safety. I thought I wanted to work for the FDA or the USDA. I interned in DC for a summer, absolutely hated it. I mean, I liked the work I was doing. I was at this great uh, watchdog group called the uh, Center for Science and the Public Interest. And uh, while I enjoyed the experience because they've got an incredible food safety team there doing all this amazing food policy work, it just wasn't right for me. So that's when I kind of realized, okay, there are ways to change the food system, but if we do it with our dollar, you know, voting with our fork, that idea, we can make change a lot faster than if we wait for the government to make those changes and push them through to the industry. So that's then what led me to finish my degree and go work for an organic baby food company, because of course there they care about safety and quality. And, you know, we have loads of concerned new parents who want to make sure they're feeding their baby the right things from their very beginning, from their very first bites. So yeah, it definitely was very roundabout, but for and me, it was an opportunity to talk to yeah. people about science. And so I loved it being at the baby food company. And then, so while you were in New York is when you started to kind of like, kind of get into beer, is that correct? Yeah. So of all places, it was my friends in public health school that got me into beer. <laughs> and then when I moved from Berkeley, which is where I went to public health school to New York for the baby food job, I had one friend living in New York, but I didn't really know anyone else. So yeah, I was all into the beer as my way to kind of get to know the city really. And it was amazing. Like I, I have such good memories of this beer and food pairing dinner that I went to at Hearth. I remember going to other half, not long after it opened, I would go up to different breweries and all of the different boroughs. Like I took the Staten Island ferry out to go visit Flagship, which is on Staten Island. I remember going up to the Bronx to visit Gunhill. It was, it was just so cool to be able to explore the city and meet different people and talk to them about beer. And even if I didn't go with friends, I'd bring my copy of Tasting Beer and be studying for my certified beer server exam at some of these bars. So yeah, I absolutely loved it. Did you, did, did I read correctly that you started part-time bartending while you were in New York City as well? 
Yeah. So my day job was at the baby food company and then actually through one of the women at the baby food company, because everyone knew I was obsessed with beer. Like I would buy all of our beer for our Friday drinks at work and just talk about my obsession nonstop to the point where like my bosses would buy me beer as my birthday gift. So it was really thoughtful. Uh, so yes, then through one of the women at work, uh, she introduced me to a friend who owned a restaurant near me. It was a five minute walk from my apartment in New York. And I worked there on Saturdays doing the brunch shift. But the bad thing was I would work there. And then my favorite local bar was a few steps further. So whatever I made, I would pretty much just go and spend down at my local bar afterwards. Uh, but yeah, it was a great way to start getting that service experience and figuring out how to actually talk to people about what they wanted to order and how to serve beers beyond just geeking out about it myself. And then from New York City, how did you end up back in London? So yeah, I mean, London was new to me in the sense that I grew up in Northern Ireland, so I'd never lived in London before. But I had two cousins from my, my childhood in Northern Ireland who we kept up with. And, you know, we'd come back to see them and they'd come to the States to see us. And two of them were living in London at the time. And so really the thinking was, I loved what I was doing in the baby food world, but I was getting really into beer, wanted to see if I could make it my career. And I knew that the beer scene in London was a little bit younger than the beer scene in the States. And so I kind of figured since I didn't have any, you know, official work in hospitality or work in beer, I decided that I would move to London and see if I could get my foot in the door here instead. So yeah, I lived with my cousins for what was supposed to be a few weeks, turned out to be six months, and crouching on their you, couch. You started working for a bottle shop called Mother's Kelly, is that correct? Yeah, so it's a bar and bottle shop, bar and bottles. that's where I got my start. And then yeah, quickly after that, like Mother Kelly's is a really important part of the London beer scene, I'd say, and it was really easy for me to get to try all these different beers, meet all these interesting people in the industry, and then kind of connect with other people that then led me to my next role, which was, was at Duval. Yeah, so was was Mother Kelly's or Duvel your first full-time beer gig? Technically Mother Kelly's. Okay. I, yeah, I'd say I was almost full-time there, working like quite a few nights a week and then spending my days blogging and getting to know the London beer scene. And then, yeah, moving into like full-time nine-to-five employment was at uh, Duval. And then what did you do for them? So I actually started in Duval in sort of a, an operations role. That was the need at the time. Uh, but my boss then who hired me knew I had previously done marketing for the baby food company and communications for the baby food company. So yeah, they were waiting for a marketing budget to be approved. Uh, so I got hired in this operations role, which was really just helping to find ways to reorganize our ordering process, bringing the beer in from Belgium and making sure we had enough stock of it for all our customers here in the UK. But then only two months later, it switched into a marketing role after the marketing budget was approved. So yeah, then I got to become the UK marketing manager for Duval and talk to people about our amazing beers. So very easy job and very fun job because the beers so, are just so. So just to recap, you go from microbiology at UCLA to public health to a food policy internship in DC to working for a baby food company back to London or not back to London, but to London to work at a bottle shop bar. And then now you're at Duvel. How, like from, from your time at UCLA to working for Duvel, how, how many years was that? What was the span of that time? Well, it sounds I'm, it sounds crazy to go from all those things and then end up to where you were at this point. Yeah. So I finished at UCLA in 2010. And now here we are in 2021. I was almost going to say 2020 because I feel like the last year hasn't ended. <laughs> and yeah, I and I left Duval in 2019. And now I'm on my own with my own business in beer. So yeah, it's definitely a, a journey I never, ever expected to be on. But I've been in beer solidly for the last five and a half years now. So that feels pretty good. So Even though kind the baby of been, was quite a long chunk as well. It just feels like, okay, I found my thing and now right. I'm going to stay in the world. It's, it's interesting, especially in the beer world, 
people finding, you know, whether they're coming later to it in their 30s or 40s or they figure out pretty early. Like, I mean, I'm only 25, so I was blessed enough to figure out early that this is what I wanted to do. But and same with you, it sounds like so. You know, an 11 year journey from, you know, college or university to where you are now is pretty amazing. Um, and then while you were working at Duvel, you became a certified Cicerone. And then what I want to talk to you about is you're a beer sommelier, sommelier, right? Mm-hmm. So, sorry for the wine people who listen. I'm not very familiar. So what oh, is... it depends on my mood, whether I say sommelier or sommelier. Oh. I try to be so... fancy. Because they, the wine people say sommelier. They say oh. it's like accent, I'm, but I'm going to say it's very Americanized. And uh, so what is a beer sommelier? Yeah, so it's just a qualification that's offered here in the UK through the okay. Beer Insider Academy. So it's similar to the Cicerone program. I, since I've done both, I've actually written a blog post like comparing the two and okay. I often talk to people here in the UK about the differences. But with the Beer Sommelier, the exam is only an oral assessment. So there's a tasting component involved. It's based on a blind tasting of 15 different beers. But then it's all about speaking through your answers. So describing the beer, identifying the style, suggesting a food pairing for it. There's no written answers. And then there's also no uh, sort of service side. So you don't need to go into any of the details on draft dispense or cask dispense or anything like that. So they have a lot of similarities, a lot of overlap, but then just a few slight differences between the two programs. So that's something that's offered of, only offered over in the UK? Correct. Because I, yeah, I was, I, I had knew that you were a beer sommelier and I'm like, I had never heard of that. I only thought, what does that mean? Yeah. I thought that it was only for people for wine. Um, yeah. So that's why I started with Cicerone because I came from the US and that's, that was my world. But then there were more people who were beer sommeliers here in the UK. So I kind of figured, okay, should I do what everyone else is doing here? And then after that, that's the highest level you can get through that program is beer sommelier. So then I decided to go back to the Cicerone program and get my advanced Cicerone, which was last year's. Will you work to or get two your, years ago? Yeah, I'm sure two you will. Years. But will you work to get your master's? I'm assuming, which is the final. I'm not sure. It's not actually on my to-do list at the moment. Only because I, you know, I've been in touch with M. Sauter, who you've spoken mm-hmm. with, and you know, I like keep up with Mandy uh, on social media. Like all these women who are working towards their master's cicerone, and it just looks so hard. And I know how hard it was to study for the advanced. And the challenge was as well that I I took three months off to study for the advanced. And so that meant I wasn't, you know, building my business or taking on new work. And while it's a, an internal endeavor and it was really something I was committed to doing to getting the advanced, I know it would take even more time off right. to do the master. And so I just kind of thought I need to build my business. I need to have some income <laughs> before I commit to taking more time off to do something like that. So we'll see. It's it's not really on, the, on my path at the moment, I don't think. Well, you mentioned earlier that uh, you left Duvel and now you're you're kind of on your own. So you now run and operate kind of your own virtual beer school called Beer with Nat, which is centered around uh, tastings, you know, training. Uh, you consult with people to get, I'm assuming, their, cert, their, cert, their Cicerone and probably also their beer sommelier since you are over in the UK. So kind of talk about what Beer with Nat is and why you wanted to start that. Yeah, so Beer with Nat as a concept began with my podcast, actually, which I first launched in late 2018. And I was still at Duval at the time, but I had kind of been building up this interest in beer education as I was there doing my Cicerone studies and my beer sommelier studies. And really the motivation to leave Duval, they gave me so much support when I was there uh, for my studies and also for the book that I wrote. Um, 
I really like all my students in beer school know that anytime I mention Duval, like they play a Duval bingo. I talk about Duval so much. I love the business so much, uh, but I wanted to not only speak about Duval beers, I wanted to speak about all beers. So that's then ultimately why I decided to leave and pursue my own beer education business. So Beer With Nat started with that. But then I decided I would kind of use it as my business name as well, uh, because, you know, it's me talking about beer. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but it, it's only recently that I'm kind of uh, initially I was like considering myself more of a consultant, like I would do different projects based around tastings and events. And with the pandemic, I haven't really been able to do any of the in-person events and tastings and trainings that I used to do. So I launched a new business, my virtual beer school, which is dedicated to helping prepare people for their Cicerone certification, level one, the certified beer server. And I'm still getting comfortable with the word founder, but I think the more I lean into it, the more I enjoy it to think like, oh my goodness, I have founded this thing. My right. podcast was always a side project, but now I'm kind of like, I want to identify myself as the founder of virtual beer school because it feels more like a thing. It feels more official so yeah I'm working on that and you know people ask me like oh what do you do and I'm I kind of change it every time I talk to them but usually I say I'm a beer educator author and podcast host but now I'm like mm, I might change that to be founder of virtual beer school it just feels cool so I just need to get yeah get comfortable with the idea of yeah you my- definitely need to own that you mentioned your podcast and that's kind of how we connected you um you you I messaged do- you on Instagram and yes. was like yours is so cool I do this too but I haven't yeah. done it in ages and you're so- doing it you hosted um, a women in beer podcast as well, where you had yeah. female guests on as well. And it's crazy because I, when I was deciding to start this podcast, I was trying to find, you know, something different that no one else really did. And I think you're probably just wasn't on my radar because you were yeah, I'm over here. So, yeah. um, so that's how we kind of met, which was really interesting. So you're, you were kind of wanting to do the, you know, you started the podcast probably the same reason I have, but um why, you know, you haven't done it in a while. Is there a reason that you have just taken a step back? Is it just because of the virtual beer schools that's kind of taken over and that's more of your priority? The reason I put the podcast on hold was the pandemic. So my last season, I do it in seasons just to kind of make sure that I can manage it with the other bits on my plate. And my last one literally ended the week that we went into lockdown here in the UK. So it was January to March of 2020. And after that, like there's, I mean, there was then and there still is now just so much uncertainty in our hospitality industry, especially like we're still in full lockdown here in the UK. So that means no businesses can be open. So in the States, like my brothers are both in California still and my younger brother will go to his local brewery and support them. And even if you're just buying to take home, at least there's some trade here. People can only buy online and that's it. And it's been like that for pretty much a year. We had a stint where places were open sort of July through September but really it's been really devastating for our industry and lots of people were losing their jobs. And because I do consider my podcast to be so career focused, I just Mm -hmm. didn't want to put pressure on anyone to speak about their career that may not exist or that they may be on furlough. You know, they may not be doing the role that they used to be doing. So I did do a mini series in August of last year, which was speaking to women who love beer, but don't work in the industry Mm -hmm. uh, as there was at least a sense of relief that they wouldn't need to worry about their careers for the most part. So yeah, I spoke with an actress, an archivist, a podcaster, and a broadcaster. And that was really fun just to show that it's not only women who work in beer that love beer, but yeah, it's been a long time since August uh, and we are still in this state and, you know, businesses are making it through and people are finding ways to adapt. So the plan is once this round of virtual beer school ends in April to start doing more interviews. I think I might go back to the women I've spoken to previously and just like kind of check in and see how has the last year been for you. 
I think that would be more interesting to be like, we know your career history to now what's been happening in the last year with the mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, but then I would also like to start reaching out to some new guests as well. I keep making a list in notes in my phone of women I'd like to reach out to. But yeah, that was the real reason I put it on hold. Like my career, you know, I used to be doing these in-person tastings and trainings and talks at conferences and all of that stopped. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know how to describe what I do if someone was to ask me right now. So why would I want to put anyone else in that position? But I think we are figuring ways through it and adapting. So yeah, I'll I'll get some more voices in the time capsule of us making it through this strange time very soon. I guess that's where I got lucky is, you know, we did shut down, but we, you know, we here in the United States, a lot of, well, I guess it, it depended state by state, but some breweries, you know, had to completely shut down somewhere mm-hmm. just outside, but not in the sense where you're only online, people could still and go get beer or and then take it home. So um, I guess we got a little bit lucky. I don't want to call it lucky or whatever, but. Um, yeah, exactly. We're all, we've all, we're just at different stages of right. whatever this is we're living in now. Yeah. And then if you weren't busy enough doing, you know, previously your podcast and your uh, Beer With Nat, your virtual beer school, you also wrote a book. Um, One of those too. Yeah. (laughs) So talk about Beer Taste, the Evolution in 50 Styles, the the book. Yeah. So the book all came about again from my studies. I just thought I was learning all these really interesting stories, but they're like buried at the bottom of the style description on BJCP. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really geek yeah. out and you start studying for different beer styles or you've got the BJCP app, you know, you can read all these interesting history facts about different styles. And for me, I was like, why is no one talking about this? Right. Come on. You know, why is this hidden? These are the things that are going to make us remember what differs, you know, one style from another, because this style was invented first and it spurred the development of this style mm-hmm. afterwards. You know, we had to have the Czech Pilsner first before we got the German Pils because, you know, the brewers in Germany noticed what their neighbors in the right. Czech Republic were doing and decided to make their own version. And for me, instead of then having to memorize, okay, this one tastes like this for this reason, this one tastes like this for this reason, I just understand their histories and then it all kind of falls into place. So yeah, I was learning this stuff and was just like, come on, why is no one talking about this? Let's let's get this out to the masses in a way that we get to learn the history of beer instead of in a massive history text, which there are lots of those and they're great. I just wanted people to have these little, you know, sort of nuggets of information to impress their friends with that they could then look at how beer has changed over time based on the ingredients, how that's given us new beer styles and how all of these different styles relate to each other. So yeah, it was all born out of the book and uh, all born out of my studies and I got a book out of it. It's amazing. So you released uh, the book in August 2020, is that correct? March 2020. March 2020. Literally the week we went into lockdown. So my launch was canceled. I've gotten to do nothing to celebrate this book. It's quite sad. Well, nothing in person, lots of virtual. What, how did you go about? So it it seems that you picked 50 styles to highlight, correct? There are just over 50, 50. but according to the publishers, numbers are good in titles. So that's how we ended up with a number in there. It was originally called Taste the History of Beer. How did you go about picking the 50, you know, so styles to to go into the book? Because there's probably a lot more than 50 styles or, you know, we've invented new styles in today's day and age. Yeah. And there are definitely more styles in these little like call out boxes. They're in green in the book. And so that's kind of chucked in some extra styles. Uh, So I think the book covers around 60 in total. There are 60 beers to taste. That's right. And then a few other ones are kind of referenced as in like, this is relevant to this one. Um, But it really was ones that, so the book is told through the lens of malt, water, hops, and yeast and how they've changed over the years. So yeah, just whatever style sort of best fit into that timeline of, you know, first we had dark malts, then we had pale malts, then we got caramel malts. So there's a beer to taste to bring each of these different innovations to life. As someone who loves to read beer books, I will definitely be 
um, having to get that one and put it on my shelf as well. It's really beautifully illustrated as well. I always say this, people are like, the writing's good too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Look at the pictures. The pictures are amazing. The woman who illustrated it, her name's Sarah Greeno, and it just looks so cool. It's very art deco. Yeah, I'm very pleased. Every time I look at it, I get a little smile. Yeah, I have uh, M. Slaughter's Pints and Panels first book. So I uh, oh, loved her, her cartoons in that one. Um, so clearly you have a, you know, a, the passion for educating people on beer through your podcast, your, your virtual beer school, um, and then your book. Why, why is educating people on beer so important to you? I think I've just always had an interest in being a teacher, as I was saying earlier, like kind of when I reflect back on those early drawings, those early things where you're like, what did I want to be when I grow up? I've, I've had an interest in being a teacher, but not that my dad is, but my dad's had an interest in teaching. Same with my older brother, actually. Like we have these family Zoom calls every Sunday now to stay connected during the pandemic. And we kind of talk about what we wanted to do and what we want to do going forward. And we've always had this element of really enjoying communicating with other people and teaching other people. And I suppose one of my aunts is a teacher. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to reflect on this, what teachers are in our lives. Um, But yeah, I've just really enjoyed learning things and processing them in a way that I can share them with other people in a way that it's going to make sense to them. So that's my whole idea is it was about making science make sense. Now it's about making beer make sense. It's just about figuring out a way to share information with people in a way that they're going to hopefully take it in and get as excited about receiving that knowledge as I am about sharing that knowledge. I just, I just really love it. And I think with the podcast, it was about sharing this fact that there are lots of women in beer because I'm sure this is what you've experienced. People think, oh, there aren't that many women in beer. Women don't like beer, blah, blah, blah. And then when you get into the industry, you're like, there's loads of us. Why is why does, why does do people have this perception that women right. don't like beer? So then it was like an education piece there. And then with learning more about beer, I just think beer is hard to understand. You know, people get that wine comes from grapes and cider comes from apples. What does beer come from? But as soon as you get that, you know, talk on a brewery tour, or you get someone actually explaining to you beers forming ingredients, then you're like, oh, that's where it gets its color. Oh, that's where it gets its flavor. Okay, I can start making sense of this. Now I know I like this beer because of this ingredient. I'm going to seek out more flavors like that. Then the whole world makes sense. So yeah, that's where it all comes from. I just want people to love beer as much as I do. And I think it takes a little bit of education to get there. I I completely agree. Um, you, so you know, because of your education of, you know, educating people in the beer, in the beer world, you were named one of Good Beer Hunting's 2020 signifiers, which are, I guess, in the most basic sense, people who made a difference in the beer world that year. So what, what did that mean when you found that out? That was a real surprise, actually, because I got to nominate someone because I started working with Good Beer Hunting last year on their Mm -hmm. podcast. And so I got to nominate M and I was like, oh, this is great. Like I love M Sauter's work. I reference it in my beer school. My students all love it because I teach the lessons over audio. So like we, we have a Zoom call, but I'm really just talking at them. Uh, I sometimes prepare videos for them to watch in advance, but for most of the sessions all about beer styles, I send them links to M's work because for the people who are visual learners, it's the best way to take it in. And so I just thought, okay, I need to big up M and support her work. So I got to write a signifier on her, which I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'm so excited to celebrate another woman in beer. And then Ruvani De Silva, who also has done some work for Good Beer Hunting, who was taking my beer school, wrote one about me. So I was like, oh, that's a surprise. What a nice treat. So yeah, I think it's really nice. It's really important important for us to make sure that we do 
kind of put a spotlight on people who we think are doing great work. And if that can be more women, that's fantastic. Because again, it just furthers this idea that there are loads of us in beer who love it, who are doing great work, who are making great contributions. And that beer is for everybody, not just for men. <laughs> I don't know why people still think that way anymore. I actually am having Rubani on my podcast next week, which I am super oh, psyched amazing. about. Yes. And then, um, so you've, you know, like you said, you've been on this 11 year beer journey or not 11 year, but from, from your time you graduated or uh, got your undergrad at UCLA to uh, where you are now, what's next for you? What, you know, what's the next thing you want to check off? Is it another book? Is it just continuing with your virtual beer school or, you know, what's kind of next in your journey of beer education? To be honest, I don't really know. And the funny thing is when the pandemic began at the beginning of 2020, I was like, okay, I've, I've passed my advances around. My book is coming out. But I remember saying a lot very early, like February, March, 2020, like, I just don't know what's coming next this year. And well, it turns out no one did. And so all of 2020 changed. So I kind of felt like I was in an okay place to not know what was happening in the world. Um, but like the book, I'd never had a desire to write a book. It was just that I had a friend write a book, my friend, Jess Dennison, who wrote a cookbook. And I kind of thought, oh, if someone like me, you know, can, can do that. If a friend of mine can do that, maybe I can do that. And so then that kind of set me on the path to then write and have the book published. And then I think with the advances around, I had set myself that challenge a while ago. Again, I don't know if master is on the list, but just this idea of wanting to achieve expertise in beer has always been something I've been interested in. I think now that I have set up the virtual beer school, I kind of have an interest in seeing if there's a possibility to take that into the real world once we can get back into the real world and do some in-person training courses. But I think there is a lot more space to do this stuff online. I've taken a survey of my students who are taking the course currently, and I was like, mm, I'm thinking about moving to pre-recorded lessons as opposed to teaching you while we're all together. Because when we get out of lockdown eventually, whenever that may be, you know, I assume people are going to want to not be staring at their computer right. screen. And most of them have replied, like, I like it the way it is. I don't think I'd get as much out of it if I had to watch the lessons on my own as opposed to be in the room with everyone and learn together. So it's quite interesting to me. It was really unexpected, but I think I can hopefully keep it up in the form that it's in now or maybe offer both. You know, some people get to learn from pre-recorded lessons. Some people join for live lessons, but either way, there will still be an element of discussion where we come together virtually every week and maybe taste a beer, talk through questions, et cetera. So yeah, I think it's focusing in more on beer school and figuring out what that looks like because that all evolved really organically with the need to, you know, I can't I can't do what I normally do in person. So how do I do this on the internet um, in terms of teachings and tastings and things like that? So yeah, I feel there's more work to be done around beer school and making that more of a brand um, and more of a business, but I'm not sure what that looks like yet, but that's what my focus is gonna be on for the next little while at least. I know you started with the, the level one Cicerone. I believe now you're teaching level two classes as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So of my first 50 students who took beer school the first time around last fall, I had 30 of them of the, yeah, of the 50, I had 30 of them say, I want to keep learning. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I wasn't expecting this. So I'm now building a level two course for them. I mean, right next to me is my stack of books and I'm writing the lessons every week and we're doing homework assignments. So they're doing practice questions to prepare for the written exam as that's all that's offered at the moment. The tasting portion will have to wait until we can do those uh, types of in-person things in the future. 
But yeah, it's, uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I want to make sure I'm sharing the right information and getting things across in a way that is going to make sense and not cause any further confusion. I definitely said something confusing in the lesson this week and, um, you know, going to bed afterwards, I was like, oh, really beating myself up. I need to fix this as soon as I can tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, I love it. And I'm so appreciative that all of those students wanted to come back and keep learning. Um, I hope no one asked me for a level three course because that was so difficult to study for. I don't, I honestly don't think I would offer it. I'm just, just going to be like, I'll, tell you all the books I read, go read them yourself. But yeah, we'll see. Who knows? And if somebody wanted to, you know, participate in the virtual beer school, uh, how would they do that? And is it offered here in the States as well? Yeah. So I have people in the States who took the first round who are with me now for round two as well. Um, the timeline, the timings are UK time zone. So they're joining it afternoon or, well, I have someone in Australia as well at the moment who joins first thing in the morning, her time. Uh, so it is open to anybody around the world, but I think I may start running it twice a week where I have like a time that's better suited for US attendees and a time that's better suited for UK attendees. So yeah, it's all on my website, discovering.beer. And that is a place where you can go learn about beer generally, uh, how to taste it, what it's made from. And then you can also find out more about virtual beer school there as well. Great, you answered my next question. Where can people go to find out more information? <laughs> but I will say at the moment, I haven't set dates for the next course yet. We're finding out next week uh, whether what the plan is to get us out of lockdown here in the UK. So I'm kind of waiting for that to find out, well, when will we be released from our homes? And should I try and squeeze in a course before then, perhaps? Because I have a feeling people are going to want to run to the pub as soon as they can <laughs> once we're allowed to. You keep talking about London beer scene, and that's just like one of my bucket list places to go. Oh, come see me. I'll definitely take you around. I, oh, that's great. I watched uh, The Crown and uh, Peaky Blinders, which are two like UK-based shows, or, and I'm just like, oh, I just want to go to a pub and drink a nice like stout or a good English bitter or something after all this is over. Perfect. I know just the places to take you to. <sighs> Man, well, I hope this is all over so we can travel soon because I definitely have that itch. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Me too. 100%. Being here in the UK, it's been so nice because, you know, I moved here in 2015. In 2017, I went to Germany five times to all different beer cities. And then, yeah, I've been working for Duval. I went to Belgium loads. Like, it's just amazing the opportunities that we get being based over here and how easy it is to explore Europe. But that said, anytime I come home to the States, my brothers are in California, but I always find an excuse to go somewhere else. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop in St. Louis and then right. I'm going to come to California and I'm going to go to Seattle. Then I'm going to come see you in LA. So, yeah, I always make sure I tick off all my beer cities in the States too. We have some good ones here as well. So you've listened to this podcast, so you know how it ends. So I do the rapid fire and then I have two questions. So here we go. Six pack of 12 ounce cans or four pack of 16 ounce cans? Six pack. If you're drinking straight from it, a bottle or a can? Well, I have to say I would always prefer a glass. It's much course, better for the beer, of course. but I'm going to go with a can. Yes. For anyone who doesn't know, always pour your beer into a can. New England or West Coast IPA? West Coast. Stout or Porter? Porter. Gosa or Berliner Weiss? Gosa. Seltzer or Cider? Cider. Go to, what's your favorite apple variety? We had this question on our last, my last podcast, so I feel like I need to ask. Well, I'm not that into uh, cider, I have to say. I'm trying to get more into it, but in terms of eating apples, because I've like been trying to educate a myself. raw apple. Yeah, Brayburn is my Brayburn. favorite. Huh, I don't think I've yeah. heard of that one. Oh, really? They seem to 
be really common. Well, at least here in the UK. I mean, I'm pretty anti-pink lady, not a fan of those, not a fan of the Washington, the red ones. No, I've, I've yeah, I'm honed in on Braeburn. Apparently there's a lot of Apple like opinions out there. So I feel like I have to <laughs> add that randomly to my, uh, my you can start the next push. podcast all about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, peanut butter or coffee in your beer? Definitely coffee in my beer, but I eat a PB and J every morning. Do you? Interesting. Yeah, I love, love a good PB and J. Uh, brewery cats or brewery dogs? I'm definitely a dog person, okay. not a cat person. Good answer. Favorite beer city you've been to? I mean, I've been to so many, but one of the places I have really amazing memories is St. Louis. Okay, I love yeah. St. Louis. So I've been there a couple years ago, but didn't really get to experience the beer scene there. So I'm yeah, hoping go to back. get back there. Quick. And then what's your favorite beer glass style to drink out of? Oh my goodness. That's a good one. Obviously, I mean, there's I, certain yeah. ones you want to drink, like a Pilsner out of a Pokal, you know. Yeah, I would probably say a Tulip, a just because it's the good all-purpose. Mm-hmm. We've got the nice inward taper, that little outward taper for ease of drinking. Yeah, let's go with a Tulip. Favorite hop? Favorite hop? Oh, I really like Amarillo. I have M's uh, Amarillo. Um illustration yeah illustration on my wall that's funny oh that's great what's your go-to beer right now what's what are you what are you drinking that you're really enjoying Mm -hmm. I've been doing some events with a brewery here called duration they're based in Norfolk and I have lots of their beer in my fridge at all times they I mean their pilsner is really great their German pills called doses I had one of those recently they make all the IPAs whatever kind you want they've covered it they've done a New England a West Coast um but I really like they've got a grisette that's really tasty because mm-hmm. I do like to have beer like pretty regularly, but I I only want like three, four percent alcohol. So, yeah, I would say their grisette is a really delicious one. Not that you're probably going to get it in the States, but for any listeners in the UK, go get some of their beer. I feel like every now and then I see a grisette pop up, but it is rare. It is very rare. Yeah. And then if you could go on any beer vacation right now, obviously COVID's not an issue. Where would it be and why? Mm. It can be back to the city you've already been to. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, I just want to go everywhere. I pick one. Where would I, I know I got to pick one. Um, oh, that's too difficult. I think I might like to go back to Pilsen because the Pilsner Urkel mm-hmm. experience is just awesome. So I might want to go back to Pilsen and drink some unfiltered, unpasteurized Pilsner or Kell and be down in the cellars and take it all in. I think this is the second podcast in a row Pilsner Kell has been mentioned. I don't know if you can see it right behind me. I've got a Pilsner Kell lunchbox. I'll send you oh, a yeah. picture. I'll send you a picture I was listening, later. I was listening to your episode with Kate and I know yes. she was talking about Pilsner yes. or Kell. Yep. I love that beer too. Yeah. So it's, it's just so important in the history of beer. Like mm-hmm. I think any, you know beer geeks sometimes people are like oh it's owned by asahi now you know but i'm like but we still have to respect what it's right. done for us and it's in the place oh my goodness it's so delicious when you go to pilsen again bucket list bucket list when all this <laughs> all this is or not bucket list but you know something i want to do when all this is over and then if you could have a beer with anybody you know walk into your normal times walk into the local pub or brewery or bar or whatever who would you want to sit down and have a beer with you know, it's funny. I'm glad I'd listened to your previous episodes to know you asked this because I'm like not very good with these sorts of quick fire things like, oh, who would I want to talk to? So I had a bit of a think and it's not beer related at all. But uh, 
there's an author I really like. So I'm not very much of a reader. Like my boyfriend always makes fun of me. He's like, I think you've written more books than you've read. I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. Um, but I love Jodi Pico. I don't know why, but everything she has written, I have read. I think I've uh, read starting some of her with, stuff. Yeah, My Sister's Keeper was the big yes. one that got made into a movie. But the, the book is very different than the movie. And like the book is woo, super impactful. So yeah, she just uh, released a new book earlier this year, which I recently read. And everything she does, I'm like, I just love it. So yeah, it would be really cool to sit and have a beer and a chat with her and pick her brain. I definitely have read some of her books. I'm looking through them right now. But you yeah. can come for a beer with us then too. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I would say My Sister's Keeper is probably her most favorite, famous one. Yeah, definitely. Done. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this Wednesday afternoon for you, morning for me. Hoping one day we'll be able to grab that beer together when I uh, come over to London, enjoy some, uh, some, some London beers. Yes, please do. I'm going to take you to Mother Kelly's where my beer journey began, and then I'll take you to the Harp in Covent Garden for some great <sighs> cask beer as well. Oh, it sounds that just sounds so uh, so good right now. But <laughs> keep up, you know, we uh, keep up the education. You know, I know I appreciate it and seeing your stuff that you do. Um, you know, I'm I'm a level one cicerone, so I'm eventually going to have the the opportunity and want to do the have the opportunity to get my level two. So I will probably be contacting you to sign up for virtual to join the school. virtual beer school because that will definitely Perfect. be a benefit to me, but, um, you have a great Wednesday. And again, thank you uh, for hopping on here with me. Thank you. It's been so nice to chat.